Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Ravi Patel. Ravi, thank you for joining me on Rising Tide. Thank you for having me. We uh, we chatted about uh, was maybe a week ago and and kind of set this up and and I told him I said I've really been looking forward to this based on the the initial chat. So uh, tell our listeners a little bit about Ravi. Sure. So I live here in Richmond, Virginia. I don't have any kids yet, so I've been married to my lovely wife for what will be seven years in December. Uh, and my background is actually in IT, so that's it's a this is good because it's a very interesting story about IT and coming into hospitality. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much a short bio of me, obviously, the, the CEO of, of Sina Hospitality, uh, which is a hotel development and management company. Well, you, you told me something uh, about, you know, when we, we talked the first time and, and I want to kind of d- take a little di- deeper dive into the uh, you know, your, your business formation. So, so let's, let's take us back to, you know, kind of university time. And then what did you think you were going to do when you were, you were at uni? And then how did that, that major change at pivot happen? So I actually went to VCU for pre-dental because I, when I was in high school, I really wanted to be a dentist and I felt like I had the knowledge to do that. I got to this thing called organic chemistry and uh, <laughs> the death of a lot of people <laughs> basically told me that you need to change your career path very quickly. <laughs> so I had always been good in computers, but you know, back like when it was my time in college, a lot of people were in computers. And so I was a little hesitant to do that because I didn't think there was a, a good future in, in what I knew about computers. Uh, So what I ended up doing was I switched my major at VCU and went to the School of Business for a business degree with a concentration in network administration. And I actually got an internship in my sophomore year of college. And I worked for that company for about five years because I worked two years and then, well, more than two years, it's probably six years because I worked with them quite a bit after I was out of school. I actually had a contract uh, before I even graduated college. So that was a good feeling. Yeah. So, yeah. And a rarity in these days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I go into that. Um, I'm a help desk manager. So I had a, a great team of folks and, and interns that I really mentored and, and they were just the best. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better team and uh, it got to a point where I couldn't advance at that company. So then I leave that company and I go work for two more it companies and, uh, it's interesting because corporate America is very, what I found to be very cutthroat. You're a young guy coming out of school, you've got the skill set, and you know you're really good at what you can do. And companies don't recognize that because it's an optics thing. And for optics, they're like, well, you know, you're a young guy, the person that's over you is considerably older than you. So, you, you know, it may not make sense for you to lead a team. Right. And, uh, I didn't want to work forever for somebody else and not in that kind of capacity. I wanted to move up and I couldn't do it. So like any young person, I was very frustrated. (laughs) So I told my boss that I was leaving and it wasn't received very well. And 
all of this ties together because I, I learned a lot by what happened in this instance. So he was like, you know, we relocated you here. You know, now you're saying you're going to leave and, and all this stuff. And I said, yeah, because I have to do what's best for me. Mm. And I ultimately ended up leaving. So I go back home and my dad's been in the hotel business. So he started in 97 uh, and he did, he was, you know, very successful. So I went back home and I said, I want to start a hotel company. I would really prefer that you just advise me and, and just, you know, I'm going to screw up. I know I'm going to screw up, but just help me along the way. Help me minimize was, my screw ups. <laughs> yeah. And, and he was very good and he still is very good about telling me when I don't do something right, which I can appreciate. <laughs> Gotta love dads. <laughs> so we formed Cena Hospitality and this is 2013. And so I get kind of thrown head first into it because I had grown up in the business, just kind of looking at what they had done, but I had never really done anything on the hotel development side. It had always been operations. Right. So I get to go build my first hotel and the directive was you need to own this and you need to understand front to back how this works. Cause it's just like it. If you don't understand people will take advantage of you. So, okay. So I go there and I spend 15 months on a job site. And uh, during that time, I'm also getting married or engaged. <laughs> so there's a lot of like things going on. So we get done in, in 15 months on that job. The hotel opens. It's very successful. And Marriott calls. And now this is our first Marriott that we've ever built. So Marriott calls and says, hey, we'd like you to come to Los Angeles because you've won two awards. You've won an award for best opening hotel of the year. And you've also won sales ramp up award of the year. And I remember the guy's name was Chip. And I said, Chip, are you sure you meant to call me and not somebody else? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been goes, in this no. business for about a year. year yeah. And a half. That's right. He goes, no, it's, it, it's you. I said, oh. So me and my dad jump on a plane. We go to LA and we get to meet all these people at Marriott that we had never met before. And people couldn't understand how, because we thought we did a bad job in 15 months. Like for us, that's not good <laughs> for construction. <laughs> So we go there and there's all these people that are just fascinated. They, they want to, uh, you know, understand what we did. What's the secret sauce? And there's no secret sauce. It's just being there every day, you know. And it really jump-started our presence with the brands, in particular Marriott. And now we have 12 Marriotts. Uh, and it's been a very, very successful partnership. And, you know, I, I attribute that to my dad because I don't – I think if I had done it myself and he hadn't been there, I don't think I would be where I am right now. Well, you, you certainly have to put into practice. I mean, advice is nothing but information and until it's applied. So, right. um, you know, you had to, you had to go and, and be there every day and with the due diligence and staying on the contractors and subcontractors and making sure things were, were done on a timeline and making sure all the pieces were fitting together because, I mean, you were not not necessarily the general contractor of the build, but you were the general contractor of the project. Right. You were certainly the project manager of that. So right. tell me, like, let's walk through those first 15 months that, you know, because you were you were fairly young when you, yes. you did this. Right. So I was tell in my me, early 20s. 
So that, I mean, that's just extraordinary. I mean, partying. Some early twenties, <laughs> they're just like sleeping on the couch till noon going, uh, you know, getting up at the crack of noon. Yeah. Um, I never so, got that luxury. I know people <laughs> that do, but it wasn't me. <laughs> I'm just curious, like day to day. I mean, you said I was there. I mean, were you virtually almost living on site? So the, the project was 20 minutes from my house. So I, I drove every day and I put a lot of, you'd be surprised. You put a lot of miles on your car going in town. So I put like, I probably put 13,000 miles on my car <laughs> in that time, which is crazy. Right. So just going back and forth to the job. Yep. But no, so I, I was paired up with a very experienced superintendent that had done work for my family in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And you know, Tom is a, a great guy. And so the way that Tom works is he goes, if I tell you to be here at 6 a.m., you need to be here at 6 a.m. because that's when the job starts. Now, if you want to leave at 3 p.m., I have no problem with that. And his work ethic was really good. He was always walking the job. He never sat down in the construction trailer. He was always just on top of people. And I learned more from that experience than anything else because I learned that You have to know everything front to back. There are going to be challenges on the construction site. And in order to uh, accommodate for them, you need to understand what's going on so that you can produce an answer fairly quickly. Because this is, you know, if you delay the job for two days, you're losing two weeks, essentially. And you can't do that on this type of project. It's it's very expensive to to kind of push that date out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the construction interest doesn't help. You know, all of that is very pricey. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a little intimidating because you, you know, I'm in IT and I know IT and I, I own that, or at least I think I did, but you know, so going into construction, it's like, I don't know anything about this. Like I, you know, you want me to be out here every day? No problem. I can do that. I mean, it's my hotel. I probably should be, but yeah. And you, you may, know. may have wanted to be there. I mean, if, yeah. if I was in, if that was my job, if I had a, you know, that, that project was my life at that time, I, I would have been there every day. Yeah. And these subcontractors, sure. they, you really gain the respect of them because I've never been one to be like, you know, well, this is what you do. And this is what I do. I mean, I was hauling building materials in and out of there. I was loading to pick up with stuff. I was, you know, eating lunch in the truck, just like everybody else, so, you know, and it's just, they, they gained the respect because they're like, Oh, so you're actually a working owner. You're not just like a owner owner. Yeah. That yep. made a big difference, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. And and another thing that they, I mean, the fact that you were there among them, you know, type yeah. thing that it, it probably caused them to have a little different perspective about, you know, their work ethic and, yep. and what they were there to do as well. I mean, not only the con- contractor walking around, but you were, you were there as well. Yeah. And, and you, you could very easily go back to the contractor and say, well, by the way, the uh, plumber you hired, he's sleeping, you know, yep. <laughs> half the day and, back there. You know, a lot of those subs that we use, well, I still use them today. I mean, they've, yeah. they've literally watched me kind of do what I do. And it, it's just been a, it's been an amazing experience. I mean, you know, on my first job, I actually, there, there was like a hole in my shoe. That's how much I walked. I had a hole in the bottom of the sole of my shoe. I had to throw them away. <laughs> you know, I'd walk so much that year. <laughs> you need to save it. You need to frame those shoes. Just, you know, it's kind of like people frame their first dollar, you know, they ever made. <laughs> said, These are the shoes that I walked a hole in on the, in the job site. Oh, as we were, man, as we were my, wife, construction. My, my wife killed me that there was a birthday present and I was not supposed to be wearing those shoes out there. And I, <laughs> I got a lot of, a lot of heat for that. So marriage is all about compromise. Absolutely. <laughs> he said, but honey, one day this is going to pay off. 
trust me, this is, you know, that, that nice vacation I keep telling you about five years right. from now, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. So, so you, you get the hotel launched. I mean, the project itself is, is so much bigger than just the construction. I mean, you've got to yes. work on vendors and staffing and yep. setting up corporations and, and all the back end stuff. So, you know, you're tw early twenties and you're sitting there going, you know, I can't imagine the headache because, you know, a hotel is not like building a, a house. I mean, it's a, yeah. that's a major project. It's a major well, construction project. And it's also, you know, even just, I guess, to go back to the basics is, you know, you have to identify the piece of land and then you have to go and get the franchise. Well, yep. when you're a relatively new person, it's incredibly difficult to get a franchise to call you back. And mm. even though my dad had been in the business, we didn't have a relationship with Marriott and mm -hmm. really didn't have a good relationship with Hilton either. Cause we just had never built those products. Right. So it took a lot of preparation. I probably spent two months working on the packet to give to Marriott because it had to have everything in there. The, so the way that I was taught is that you, if you're going to give a franchise or anything, it needs to be, solid front to back and there needs to be no question about why you want to put this hotel here because if there's a question you're just opening up a chance for them to say no mm -hmm. but if you give them all the facts and information there's really no reason why they should tell you no unless there's something greater going on that you don't know about. right right and yeah. uh, that method worked well because when we met with marriott they literally took the binder that I had and they put it to the side and said, we don't need this. And I was, it's a little deflating, right? You spend two months doing that. And they're like, we don't need it. I said, okay, why? And they said, because we already know the hotel is going to work. All of this is just confirming what we already know. <laughs> so. So had they done market research for the area you were looking at or did you, they have. did you, oh, you can. So, yeah. so that but was part of that. the negotiation with, with uh, the hotel, I guess, chain is to say, Okay, we want to, we're looking at this area, or do they say here are the locations that we would consider as viable? And you, you nope. can get to pick one of those. Yeah, basically, when, when you do hotel development, you've got to go and find a market and identify it and sell it to them. And I thought that that's what this was when we first started. And what I came to find out on that first deal is that that is not, they had already done the research, they were just looking for somebody to confirm what they believe to be correct. And mm. so it was kind of like a meeting of the minds where they said, you know, yes, we do have information that confirms what you think. Let's go ahead and do it. And now, this hotel is all on you. you oh, know, for but, sure. Yeah. They're, 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 you yeah. know, other than their brand name and the reputation around it. Yeah. The risk is all yours. So yeah. where was this hotel located? Uh, Midlothian, Virginia. It's the Fairfield Inn and Suites on Midlothian right there uh, by the Arboretum. Okay. All right. And that's part of the, the Marriott chain. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you, you remember the day one when you uh, walked in and unlocked the door that morning and, and said, okay, we're open for business. I remember having a big sigh of relief. I'm like, man, we're finally done. Like this was just, <laughs> it'd been a bumpy. I mean, we had gone through two snowstorms. There was a, um, like a torrential downpour for like the whole month of, of May. I mean, I didn't get my parking lot done until a week before we opened. Like yeah, I remember was, you, you saying know, that we talked last week about yeah. that was the the like the last major concern you had. Yeah. And, and when that somehow played into the fact that, you know, people were asking you, how did you get that done? You know, how, right. how did you make how did you accomplish that feat? 
Yeah, and then that's the thing, you know, when it rains that much, I mean, this property is on a slope, so it, it's already challenging enough because it's not a flat site. And then the combination of rain, you know, I mean, I could have opened, I probably could have sold ATV tickets to do like off-road mudding <laughs> or whatever for a month and probably made some money, you know. <laughs> I mean, my truck got stuck there quite often because I didn't have four-wheel drive back then. <laughs> Here is but, the uh, typical entrepreneur. He's always looking at the opportunity. That's right. Yeah, and and so, you know, we get the parking lot done because we finally get like seven days of just dry weather. And I told the guys to just put the parking lot down, man. Let's just, we got to get it done. So that's a lesson that I learned now to always do that before we do anything else. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, we, we don't want to rely on the weather to be able to deliver because yeah. uh, it's always unpredictable. But, but it was a, it's just a big sigh of relief. I mean, you know, to be able to visualize it, build it, see it done, it's, it's good. It's something, it's something to be proud of. You know, I think a lot of people in, in my business in particular kind of take it for granted, like, oh, it's just another hotel that we're just sticking up here. But when you actually put your hands in it and you're in there every day, that's something to be proud of. A lot of work. That's a lot of work that the, the average person would have no idea. They, they just think Marriott just goes around the country and just decides where they want places. And they right. say, okay, we're going to put one here. Let's go find somebody to, to own it and run it or, or be right. a, a franchisee. So uh, and I, I love the, the story. And so I, how does the, the system itself work? So you have kind of a target launch date. Let's say it's January 1, 2015 mm -hmm. is, is your launch date. Mm -hmm. So is the Marriott site taking bookings before that? Or do you have a site that's open that says, you know, we have availability from this date on? I mean, how, I, I would imagine there's kind of a ramp up period when a hotel first opens that occupancy kind of grows over time or how does that work? Yeah. So when you traditionally, and it's the same with all franchises, they do something called pre-selling. <laughs> and I did that on my first hotel. And uh, what I found out very quickly is that I should not have done that because I didn't open on time or what I would had expected to open on time. Right. So you have to relocate all of these angry people and they're <laughs> angry, rightfully so, because they don't have a place to sleep. And then you incur all the charges for relocating them. Uh, <laughs> typically, it's three to four months before you're projected to open is when they'll put it on Marriott.com. And, you know, people, especially in this day and age, everything is online. So they're, yeah. they're looking, you know, and, and sports tourism is such a huge part of, of Richmond in general. Mm. And if you don't time it right, and you open that system up and you're not ready, you're going to yep. pay for it because yep. there's nowhere for these people to go. Yep. And that's exactly what happened to me like three times on that first hotel. And I learned I probably shouldn't do that anymore. So we have another hotel going up here in Richmond and I wanted to open the pre-selling for July 1st because we're supposed to open in April. And my wife reminded me of that time and said, you know, remember that time when you did that and it didn't work? Let's not do that again. So I took her advice. <laughs> Thanks, honey, for stating yeah. the obvious. It's always the, the travel site. Thanks, Captain Obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Not, and I mean, we're the Captain Obvious, not our wives, for sure. That's right. So yeah, yeah, we're the ones that, that always point out the obvious. But so how was the how was the experience as a, you know, early 20s? hotel owner in Richmond, Virginia. I mean, walk us kind of through the highs and lows of, of early entrepreneurship. 
there's a there's a lot of people that look at you a little differently because they're trying to figure out did you do it did your dad just kind of help you out and then you're just taking the credit you know but i one thing that i was taught early on is you know keep your head down you know keep a low profile and just do what you do and if you do that people will come out and figure out who you are and there's no marketing in the world that is going to help you you know it's just they, they're going to know and so I did that for like seven years. And it's interesting because now I'm starting to do more podcasts and, and radio shows and things, things that I wouldn't have done before, but because I've put the work in, I kind of, I'm in a different spot, but, you know, being a hotel owner in your twenties and thirties, it's, it's good. So I'll, I'll give you a, a little story of, of how Marriott kind of rewarded, rewarded me in that regard, I would say. So Marriott has something called a Franchise Advisory Council. Now, for example, the Fairfield brand itself has about 1,100 hotels in its system right now. There's 11 franchisees that sit on this council with three or four people from Marriott. And if you are elected to this council, your job is to help shape the brand, like whatever things Marriott is thinking, you're there to say, I think this is a good idea, or I don't think this is a good idea, and this is why. And so you're, you know, it's a pretty high profile place to be. So I got the call. I was 29. I, it was just before I turned 30, and I got the call. And they said, we want you to be on this board. And I said, okay. And uh, and once again, he said, in. "Is it, you got the right guy? <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember walking into the, the room and there were just, I mean, there's some great, great companies on that board and they're all like quadruple the size that we are. Mm. And just to be able to sit there and take it in, it was, it was good. It was very intimidating because like I said, these are, you know, seasoned people. I mean, you're talking about like at least 10, 15 years above where I am. Mm you know, and uh, it's been a really good experience. And I think that's really kind of the ultimate testament to kind of who we are and how we think outside the box, how we're different. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's always, there's a lot of people that ask me this question and I always tell them, I really don't like it. It's nice and all, but I just don't really think about it like that. For me, it's more, you know, I have a successful business that I've run I've built, I've had great people to help me along the way to advise me. And I think this is really, you know, the, the, the corporate America learning from those experiences and then doing what I want to do. It, that's really been great, you know? And so when COVID happened, right, like the worst thing that could have ever happened to this world happened. Right. And so the bottom drops out in, in March and April, there are a lot of companies that start to say, Hey, we are not going to keep our staff during this time. Being a little bit younger, I didn't think COVID was going to last more than six months. I, mm. I really, people kept saying it was going to last. No, it's just, it's not here. Like I, we're not seeing it. It's not here. And uh, we go through some of our reserve money to put people, you know, keep them on payroll because I don't want to let anybody go. It's too early to make that decision. What ends up happening is we start getting calls from management companies that we work with because most of our properties are now third-party managed. 
the management companies are saying, we need to make a decision to keep the hotel profitable. What do you want to do? Our suggestion is start cutting staff. We don't know how bad it's going to be, and we're going to hire them again later. Being in corporate America for a long time really resonated with me on this one mm. because I, I said, I don't believe that that is the right thing to do. In terms of business, yes, it is the right thing to do. But in terms of like the people that you've brought in and their families and how it's affected, because when you break it down, you're going to save about $6,000 a month on payroll by doing this. What is the point? And if you can explain that to me, okay, let's talk about it. And they're like, well, we can make the hotel a little bit more profitable. And I said, okay, again, but what if I, if the owner is telling you that it's not a concern, then why are you concerned about it? And so what we end up doing is we keep all of our staff through COVID, everybody. There are people that elected to leave because of federal funding sure. and that's fine, you sure. know, but for the most but part, that was their choice. Yeah. And right. we took loans. We took SBA loans and, and uh, you know, EIDL. I mean, you know, but it was used for payroll. Mm-hmm. And that concept, for whatever reason, I said it on a radio show. And I didn't even mean for it to blow up into what it has been, but I just said it. And I remember the guy, he turned to me and he said, are you telling me that you really didn't let anybody go during COVID? And I said, yes. Why is that, you know, why is that a big deal? And what I've come to find out is that that philosophy is not shared with a lot of people in our industry. Now, whether that's because they had older hotels, I had newer hotels, my cost basis was lower, I don't know, but it just wasn't a common thing. What's happened during COVID is that we've been able to actually build our staff and get people from competitors that were very angry that their competitors let them go. Mm. And it's, yep. it's really been an eye-opening thing. There's a lot of people that kind of look at us differently now. I mean, when you walk in a room and you sit down, you kind of don't have to say anything anymore because they know exactly who you are and what you did. Right, right. You know, and, and that if they're working for your competitors and yeah. the competitors did, I mean, they're, if they have a choice to make, where do you think they're going to go? And right. You and get that's to hire the best did. people. Yep. And that's what we did. We got some of the best people that we could, especially in the the Richmond and, and Louisville, Kentucky markets. And it has been, it has been really a good, good story to tell people. And I only tell people that to say that, you know, the, the lessons that I learned in corporate America are really, that's probably the only reason why I would have done it. Because if I hadn't gone to work in that environment and seen how it was, I would be like everybody else and say, yeah, cut them. Yeah. You know, yeah. But sitting on the other side of the table. Right. Now I understand that that is not the right thing to do. I mean, I love that the whole idea. I mean, as I think back of like bosses that I've worked under, you know, in my life, I have probably learned as a manager, I've, I've learned what not to do as much as I've learned what to do, you know, from, from managers. And I mean, there, there's always that two-sided coin that, that you have to, you have to look at and based on your own life experiences and, you know, how you were treated or how the experiences you had, how you want to kind of, you know, 
let that influence how you lead people in the future. So if you were, if you were going back to your early twenties, what are, what are some things that you, you, that you know, now that you wish you would have known then that you said, man, this is, if I'd have known this, it would have saved me a lot of headaches. If I, I think if I would have known how lucrative the hotel business was, I probably would have never gone in it. I think I would have always, I would have just started because if I, if I had come out of college and I had like a, a head start, I think it probably would have helped me a lot. And it's not to say that things haven't been good and, and we haven't accomplished a, a, a lot, but I think it would have been interesting to come out of college and just head first go into that because it, it would put us in a probably a very different situation today in a very good way. But would you have, how, what about your management style? I mean, was that kind of developed through your IT experience a little bit? Like, you know, leading teams so. and stuff? I would say so. You, as a manager, you learn to exercise a lot of patience. Mm, yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> there's a lot of people that, you know, don't do their job correctly. And so yeah. you have to kind of, you know, do you ride them really hard and say, hey, you know, I need you to do your job right or do you work with them and, and, you know, my style is, is a little different. Everything with me is a conversation. So, you know, I encourage my staff and, and I think part of this was because of IT, but if there's a problem, we are not going to arrive at a solution because I'm going to tell you a solution. The solution is going to be formed because we're all talking about it together and we're all collaborating. When people collaborate together as a company, whether you're the owner or the employee or both, that goes a long way. Mm, and people sure. work a little harder because they know that their voice is heard. Right. And they have a little ownership, you know, right. in, in the decision. And I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, the buck stops with you, you right. know, the, the, when the ultimate decision has to be made, you know, you have to make it, but, but they understand that because they've had an opportunity to speak into that up to, you know, they right. may not agree with it ultimately. And oftentimes they won't, but right. at least they'll, and they, like you said, they will, they will believe that they've been heard, you know, in that process. So, yeah. and where are your, where are your properties located and how, how wide is your footprint in the States? So the footprint right now is five States where Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee and Missouri. Uh, that footprint is most likely going to grow over time, uh, but it's going to be uh, organic growth, right? So mm -hmm. we're still a family owned business. We don't have investors. And so one of the most important things for me is making sure that I don't overbuild or I don't push myself to do things that I'm not comfortable with. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think you'll probably see us in a few more states, but I don't think we're ever going to get to like over 10 states. I just mm -hmm. don't see it. And how many hotels are in those five states? Uh, 26. 26. And what brands are there? So we have uh, Marriott, Hilton, Intercontinental Hotels. Those are the three main. Uh, and then we have a, a Best Western and then a, a Carlson Hotel. Now, is there a reason that you have kind of diversified in like five different brands versus say we're going to build all of them as Marriott's or all of them as Fairfield's or all of them as Intercontinental's or whatever. What's the, well, what's think, the thought process? I think any franchise rep and they'll probably watch this, they'll tell you that, you know, Robbie should only develop with us and they have a, you know, <laughs> they have a compelling argument. Yeah. Vested sometimes. interest too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But it, it really depends on flag availability. So like when you go to 
an interchange, maybe you see, let's say you see like a Holiday Inn or, or a Hampton Inn or a Fairfield. You can't build another one next to it or within a certain mile radius. And so it forces you to look outside and you basically have to shop all of the brands and say, okay, who's got what? Right. And then you really have to dial into the market and make a determination of which one do you think will perform the best based on what you're given. And I mean, hotel brands now, there's some people that have like 30, 20 to 30 different brands. And it it's very difficult to try to determine which one is the best bet. Mm. So you really have to spend a lot of time thinking about who is your target consumer? What are the demand generators in the area? Uh, you know, what are the traffic counts? Where are these people coming from? And uh, what rate am I going to get? Let me look at the market. Is the market getting just under $100? Are they getting $150? Well, which flag fits in that category? And you can eliminate a lot of flags that way. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like guess who that the kids right. play, you know? And then once you start pushing stuff down, then you figure out, you know, okay, this is the one that makes sense. But that's, that's kind of how that process works. Well, I, I think there's, there's, it's like investing. I, I think there may be some strength in diversification too. I mean, if for some reason, uh, one chain is falling on hard times or they make some bad marketing decisions or whatever it is that, that might have a knock on effect to, to your, your hotel, you at least have, you know, a, a broad, a much broader footprint to kind of weather that storm a little bit. So right. or get some bad PR, you know, yeah. uh, for sure. Man, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat today and, and just, you know, just walking us through the process. And I, I've actually learned a great deal about the hotel business just this morning. But is there anything you want to leave us with that, that we haven't asked you about? And then maybe just tell people where's the best place to, to find any information about Cena um, uh, online. Yeah. So, you know, what I would tell people that are listening or, or watching this is that there are you know, this country, there, there's a lot of opportunity to really be successful as a business person. And a lot of people always say that, you know, if I only had this or if I only had that. And what I would leave you with is that there are programs out there. Research them. Don't be afraid to lean on people for advice. But if you really want to be an entrepreneur, you can. You need to just put your head down, put in the hard work and just know that at some point it will pay off. It's going to be painful. I mean, there's going to be days where you're like, Hey, was this the right thing to do? I had, I've had and have those days all the time. Mm. Uh, but that's, you know, that's really the secret sauce is just, just put your head down and, and do the work. Uh, in terms of finding us, we leverage LinkedIn quite a bit. So uh, we're at Cena hospitality on LinkedIn, or you can go to our website. So uh, www.sinahospitality.com. That's S-I-N-A hospitality.com. Yep. And we'll have those that in the show notes for sure. And Ravi, just thank you for, for taking the time today and your very busy schedule to uh, just chat with us and really just for playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Ravi, sure. have a great weekend. Thank you. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.